From Santa Cruz, California, I'm Gary Shapiro, and this is From the Bookshelf. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm honored to have Mark Volman on the show this week. Mark Volman is an educator, a radio personality, an entertainer, a living legend. Along with his partner, Howard Kalin, Mark Volman was a founding member of the Turtles, whose hits include Happy Together and You Baby and a ton of others. And then as Flo and Eddie, Mark and Howard became part of the Mothers of Invention with Frank Zappa and recorded some great albums as Flo and Eddie. Mark Volman, along with John Cody, has written a new book called Happy Forever, My Musical Adventures with the Turtles, Frank Zappa, T-Rex, Flo and Eddie, and more. Mark Volman, welcome to From the Bookshelf. Thank you. That was very nice. Compliments. <laughs> I'm I'm so honored to to have you on the yeah. show. I've enjoyed oh, your uh, music forever. Good. Well, I'm glad. That means it wasn't all in uh, wasted time. <laughs> oh, I mean, happy together is just a part of our DNA now. Yeah. Well, that's not because of us. I think uh, there's uh, so many things that go into having a hit record it's like a big part of it is understanding that uh, we didn't really have the money that the other major artists that we were competing with did I mean the Beatles had Capitol and the Birds had Columbia Mamas and Papas had and we had this small little independent company called White Whale Records and that's what Happy Together was released on. And I think we were very fortunate that it got any airtime at all up against the major label. So, yeah, it was a, it was a hard fight, I mean, to get to that point, finally. But well, I, I it remember. doesn't last very long. But uh, <laughs> well, Come on, it's lasted 60 years but i uh i remember hearing that song on my i grew up in southern california and i listened to khj and krla and they played the heck out of that (laughs) yeah those were the stations i grew up with myself so it was uh, those stations really laid especially the west coast of southern california and artists like the beach boys and the shantays and Paul Revere and the Raiders, even though he came from mostly up in the hinterlands of of where he lived, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a good run uh, for the Turtles up into and including Happy Together. Uh, you know, you mentioned all those other groups and your book. You're you're sort of the host of your book. You've got all these wonderful. <laughs> Uh, your book contains reminiscences from from your colleagues like Chris Hillman of the Birds and Ray Manzarek of the Doors and Felix Cavallari from the Rascals and Spanky from Spanky and Our Gang and Howard Diltz, who I've had on the show here. He's a wonderful guy, photographer. Yeah. And and your daughters and your ex-wives. And then you just kind of <laughs> comment. <laughs> you hardly did any writing at all, Mark. Yeah, I wasn't really trying to be a writer. I mean, writers take years to find a voice. And all I really wanted to do was have people 
tell other people how nice a person I was. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that really uh, helped a lot. Um, getting getting Chris Hellman out of bed, you know, it wasn't hard enough, you know, <laughs> let alone the, re the rest of the folks that you mentioned. But it was an idea I had um, uh, in terms of not really being a traditional um, a biography or autobiography. It, it more, kind of stands on its own. It's, what I was trying to do was have people reflect their, um, well, there's a couple of real interesting spots in the book. There's an area where I wanted to get the vibe of everybody's feelings of having a number one record. And so I put them on the spot by saying, tell, you know, tell me about it. And it was like, wait, I'm not here. I'm here to do your book. And I'm interviewing them for they didn't really know I was going to use how I was going to use it, but uh, everybody enjoyed it. And it was, it was a fun way for me to see uh, the, and talk about the, the elements that take place in the life of a hit record. And having Felix Cavallari reflecting to me uh, a song like Groovin' on a Sunday afternoon. Groovin'. And it's just like, a, it was nice to hear their feelings on that stuff. And then they kind of, I could hear myself like saying a lot of those things. And I think we all have uh, an accumulation of hit songs and a lot of really good, good moments where we we toured together a lot of us like this stuff with Alice it's like you got Alice Cooper reflecting on that period of time it's so it's not really a, a book on Mark Volman it's more of a book by all of these it's like a 200 people talking about me you know and uh it's wonderful I just, uh, <laughs> they don't always say all, only nice things about you. Sometimes they occasionally say not nice. <laughs> you left all that part in, which is noble. Yeah, no, I, I've had a lot of people kind of came by during the making of the movie of, in visual forms as the book sort of became. Um, it. Uh, I felt I owed it to the people who kind of didn't like me they whatever it was that had happened uh, I didn't really know that so it was kind of hey I said to John Cody the other writer uh, who I brought in with me to kind of make sure we were staying on track and John's a musician I mean first plays drums uh, and he's he 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 has that same feeling that you know we reflect on things like tour buses, hanging out after the show at, at a bar with a bunch of people. And there's been some good books. Yeah, uh, there's been some great books. There's been some great movies that reflect the life of a somebody who's trying to make it in the music business. And, it's the same kind of person who's trying to make it in the heavy metal world is 
also the same people who are trying to make it in the pop world or the reggae world. It's yeah. a music. It's a music. Uh, that's it. What wherever it kind of falls and a universal uh, experience. Yeah, yeah, and snick snicker at the feeling you're on the inside of it, on the inside of kind of the joke, uh, inside of the feel of what was going on when the drug scene kind of kicked into gear. And you have like, you know, you don't think about it, but you have like Leslie West talking about problems he had with heroin. Or you talk with Paul Williams, who sings about Muppets. And Paul reflecting on his having to go and get cleaned up. And now today he's the president of ASCAP. So kind of says we're all in this thing. We're all kind of stuck. You know, once you kind of throw your head into the ring, it's hard to climb out and start something new again at 50 years old or 70 years old. Or, and it's amazing. Uh, we were at lunch even today talking about Tommy James and uh, his his problems that he kind of mentions about how the record companies were really, they were really bad. They were bad people. Those people who ran the companies and were dolling out the money and all that stuff, they made sure they got paid. And you kind of see that all of these groups that are talking in in the book have all experienced, oh yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. And so I sat there listening to everybody and learning, just reflecting on the fact that they had gone through the things that I thought we were like one of the groups, the the main act. We weren't the only ones who were having the problems with management, with publishing, with ownership, with using our music in film, how we were going to, doll that out and so so forth owning so, your masters too right owning owning yeah the right you can identify to, with taylor swift trying to uh, oh, yeah. she's she's a really smart person and she knows what she's got going and uh, she uh she definitely is a supportive of uh, we we kind of felt that when we were in the lawsuits to get our material on the radio to pay the the drummer the drummer should get some money sure, based yeah. on that you know those songs being used and so forth so i have a lot of respect for what she did with a lot of those groups and um well now when you yeah. uh when you signed with white whale that your little label uh your lawyers told you not to do it right they said it's a terrible deal don't sign yeah oh yeah well but you know we're so close we were so close that that opens up such a can of worms because they don't they haven't been doing what we've been doing i mean the the first band the turtles which was really called the crossfires Mm -hmm. which was really called the night riders i mean we go back to about 1962 so, I mean, you're talking about even more happy together wasn't until 67. I mean, we already had five years under our belt of failures. And, 
And so it was really just a matter of uh, accumulating the spirit, keeping the the energy up um, to continue when when the high school graduations would intercept every everybody in the band was right in that two year area, and we uh, you know we all just a uh, couple guys were married, a couple guys were they were done. Mm-hmm. They wanted to leave. It left on really three of us, Al Nickel, Howard Kalin, and myself. And that the other guys we kind of changed out um as we went forward because we you know they they didn't want to work they didn't want to go out on tour. And yeah. I can't believe I'm I'm sitting here talking. Uh, in this room with you, you know, so many years later, and we're still talking about touring and rock and music. And well, it's a thrill for me having listened to your music for so many years to be sitting here talking to you. It's it's amazing. Can you remember, uh, Mark Volman? Can you remember hearing? I don't know what was the first hit, "You Baby." Can you remember hearing it on the radio? First hit was an Ain't Me Babe, the Bob oh, Dylan yeah. record, an Ain't right. Me Babe. You Baby came second. Right. That was a that was a big change between the two. But uh It Ain't Me Babe was following in the kind of footsteps of the birds who were doing um not only turn, 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 but um uh, so you wanna be a rock and roll star and those things. And uh we were hanging around in Hollywood and we were already kind of looking forward to going ahead at Amy Babe Hit and it kind of opened up the door for us. And that's why it's fun talking at the time, talking with Ray Manzara because Ray had this crazy life because of Jim and Jim Morrison was the guy who kind of signified the Hollywood, you know, the, the dream to come to Hollywood. And uh, Ray was a very, his, his, the things he talks about in the book are really uh, kind of sad because Jim's not there, you know, and Ray and Jim uh, had their moments, but most of them were really good. And uh, I stayed friends with Ray up until the time of his life. Uh, and his death, and uh, we both, you know, Ray, Ray just accepted what he had. We made his albums with him. He gave us a chance to sing uh, Doors songs uh, in Hollywood, and it was really fun. It was fun getting to know Ray. He had he had a, a good spirit. Uh, so t- it's such a unbelievable thing to reflect on them not being here because yeah. we were we're all just the kids here on this place where we are and it's well it's, it's nice good to know that the records live on and the music lives on right yeah yeah and people much you know like you and i we're we're the ones who collected buy it if we want uh spend the time listening oh that's a nice one it's a good one. Yeah, I love it. 
There's the new the Zappa stuff that uh, well, I have that too. put together the live at Carnegie Hall. Yeah, live at <laughs> Carnegie Hall. When we danced the mud shark, when we jumped off onto the floor of the of the place, and, and John Lennon played. What, what, what John Lennon like? and Lane, John and Yoko came to the Fillmore. Mm-hmm. And John wanted to see what it was like to lead the Mothers of Invention. And it was really fun because we first started when Frank made the connection with John Lennon and Yoko that they wanted to come and participate in the show. And of course, Frank, he was always let them up, bring them up on stage, you know. And, he gave did you guys us, rehearse, gave, or did it, did it just happen spontaneously? We did. No, we did rehearse. Uh, in fact, if you listen to it, it's really pretty well organized. That sometime in New York City, and was the name of the record that we did. And John, that was crazy because John took credit for writing everything. And, right. uh, Frank Frank had to kind of spank him a little bit, saying. Those were all my songs you were performing. It was like, oh, you know, oh, 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 oh. And so John was really an interesting fellow in, in himself, you know. Had you met so, him before? Yeah, when, when we went to London for the first time in 1965, um, we went over there to promote uh, uh, Happy Together. Uh, and. Uh, She'd Rather Be With Me uh, came out uh, just about that time. And that went on to be a bigger hit than Happy Together, which mm. traditionally Happy Together is kind of thought of as the biggest okay. record we had. But she, turtle. Yeah, yeah. And She'd Rather Be With Me was really internationally a, a bigger hit. And so the those two uh, you showed me, which uh, the Gene Clark wrote with uh, uh, with Roger, and they didn't want to record the song. Talk about stupidity! And uh, I know they turned it their own song. They didn't want to record, and they gave it to the Turtles. We had a four million seller with "You Showed Me." You made a beautiful record so, out of it—a very different sounding record than the Birds. Yeah, yeah. They had a great version of the song. It just wasn't a hit version. The version we did was maybe a little more corny uh, than the people, but I like people it. real. Yeah, me too. Uh, I met a couple of really hot babes wrapped around. <laughs> that, song, that song was a, a, good a consummate, yeah, consummate uh charged up pop romance song. I mean, it's so romantic with the, and it's been used by, I think three, four, five hip hop artists that have used it. You you showed me as a a base um, for the song. Did you know Gene Clark? Oh yeah. A really wonderfully kind of, uh, he was like a curmudgeon, you know, he was, kind of stayed to himself. He was kind of trapped in that netherland between being a country songwriter or pop songwriter. He was a little bit of all of those things. His solo records are, are a joy to listen to. He, his voice 
Uh, I think Gene is one of those guys a little, little overlooked. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, he deserves to be in there. That that band, the Birds, we grew up in Hollywood with them, and so we we knew them pretty well. That's why I spoke with, I speak with, you, you, you know, in the book where um, Chris Hillman's daughter registers to go to college and she comes to the university I teach at and she tells me that the reason she's doing what she's doing, which now she's a professor at the university and uh, she took all of my classes at uh, at Loyola Marymount when I was there and then when I went over to Belmont University to teach. I've been a professor 20 years. Yeah. And um, I miss it. I really do miss it. It's a, it's something I really love doing. I used to take the kids out on tour with us. So we'd come to Albany and we would have 20 kids out on the road with us, miking the guitars and getting ready for the show and having the lunch with trip. Yeah, it was like, it's exactly, that's a very good way to put it, the field trip. That's how it felt. The other yes, day, I miss. yeah, I bet. The other day, I, was, yeah, yeah. I have a music show, a couple of music shows, as well as this talk show that we're doing. And uh, the other day on my show, I played uh, Keep It Warm by Flo and Eddie. Oh, yeah. I got a phone call like two seconds later saying, I can't believe you played that song. I love that song. Yeah. Well, that song was really one of the songs that we purposely wrote with a certain twist to it that is one of the most joyful songs in a in a sad way it's it's facing the reality of what the lyrics and and it just keeps growing and turns more of the night were night nightmare that's going on in this country at times uh, it, keep it warm really kind of represented the the, the angst that Howard and I really try to stay away from making records because we like it to have a fun thing. And so to, to make, keep it warm work, we had to really massage it in so many ways. Um, the, the stuff that go, is talked about in that song was the day of the, whatever day it was in, there were things going on, shooting, shooting kids from the tower in Texas. Uh, just all that I mean, stuff just, sounds so familiar now. It's just has it so resonant for our current yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah, the situation. But I mean, that's even maybe fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. That song's written. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's something like that. But I mean, it's not today. It's twenty years ago. We're singing about write another song for the money. Something they can sing. Not so funny. It was us having to look at facing the reality is that how are we going to get known unless we have a hit song? And so we got to do this certain style, uh, stick another grape in the juicer. Okay. Uh, and and you got uh, a lot of stuff going on in that. I love Keep It Warm was probably uh, one of those records that will get heard and heard and heard going on uh, 
when you guys work out your harmonies, which are so intricate and, and beautiful, um, do you, does that just come naturally to you or do you guys lay it down on paper or how do you come up with that? No, uh, not really paper. We sing two-part harmony between the two of us, but we have three-part harmony songs. So we can, in the middle, we can meet and he can continue. We do a lot of singing together because it actually can contains that third voice. Uh, and that third voice is grown out of the connection between the first voice, me, second voice, our third voice, the voice of the two of those things together. And we do you can, have to. I'm sorry. Do you do you make eye uh, contact? Do you have to have you know like you have to be close like the Everly Brothers looking yeah. at each other? <laughs> yes, uh-huh. yes. It's not always you know because I mean I, Howard, I'm much more handsome and yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I, but he is so talented. He, Howard has the voice. I mean that's the thing, and uh, I have a different voice, and we've learned how to use both voices you showed me is the two of us so anybody who's putting together a record that the two of us become that single voice of uh, the soft harmony parts of the what we are doing but if you listen to any of the stuff we did bang a gong with mark boland i mean we did about four albums with mark jeepster and Electric Warrior, and then we did uh, Bruce Bruce's uh, record, uh, Hungry Heart. Uh, yeah. Hungry Heart needed a, uh, you know, we had to borrow from the 60s for that one. We had a little bit of Keith Moon in there, a little bit of, you know, the Beach Boys in there, and uh, yeah. try to... Those artists want a sound like somebody says, oh, I, I really loved your stuff. Like Bono might say, I really loved when you did the stuff with T-Rex. And when we, we went to Carnegie Hall about eight years ago with you uh, 2 and we sang at a, an event, which was a, a birthday for a really great singer-songwriter whose name is Gavin Friday. If you've never heard Gavin and you're sitting at home looking for an afternoon of really great stuff, uh, Gavin made about four albums, five albums. Howard and I did the first two and then started. he started doing a lot of different music. He's a very theatrical. Uh, Bono calls him his inspiration. Right. Of, of for you too, so that it's worth hearing. He was in Romeo and Juliet. The the he played wrote some songs for that. Sang with the Coors. Uh, there were all all those guys that are, you know, uh, they, all of them are drinkers. You got to get them early in the session. <laughs> <laughs> By the afternoon, it's. Uh, there's trouble in the afternoon. You got to put a bunch of Irish guys, and their music is wild. And um, we had a good time doing that. We got to sing with a lot of different peoples, and uh, I miss that part of it. And a lot of things, uh, you know, this this period in our life is, is a lot of it's been ruled by health issues, and uh, 
Uh, Howard's uh, struggled a little this past few years with his back. He had trouble. You know, we rode on, we ride on a bus when we tour, you know, it's, and it's not, not the best buses don't have the best, uh, you know, pillows and things. It can be rather, it kind of tore Howard's back apart, uh, you know, wow. ultimately. And, uh, Yes, it would be better if we just all stayed young, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it was a little dangerous, you know, being young and carefree and you 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 just find it's just as dramatic. It just is just way it is. Uh we're out on a sixty-one day tour of the United States right now. It's gonna run it's run almost right now about four months, and we got a whole month to go. And uh, do you enjoy it as be... much as always? Do you enjoy <laughs> it as much as you always did? Is anybody listening to this? I love <laughs> this job. <laughs> I love this job. Yeah, yeah, I do. I find that uh, my ex, let's see, my ex-wife number two. She's not too crazy about what I do. No. Uh, my ex-wife number one. Uh, she's better about, <laughs> I, I won't trouble you with all of those things, but read the book. It talks about all of, everybody has the same problems in the music business. Um, well, your children talked about you being away during their childhood. And I guess that's part of. Yeah, I've never lived down the fact that I missed my daughter's graduation from high school. And I know there are other musicians like me who have had, that same kind of thing. It just, I wanted to be there. In fact, I had bought a ticket. I got to the airport uh, in Colorado and we got snowed in and I sat there. I must have looked like sad man crying in a fear, you know. And I missed, I couldn't get there. I mean, I just couldn't get there. And then you start out showing up at home saying listen let me let me tell you what happened and she turns around and kind of walks out of the room you know you you have a hard time getting back those days and that's the thing i will always say when i talk in school and teach there this is a great great life especially if you can parlay it into a once in a lifetime possibility that you can make a living in doing this it's hard yeah. we were talking today we were talking today about in the book i talk about a gentleman who played guitar with us named phil reed phil reed was a really fine musician he had just gotten married and at about four in the morning we had a phone call that there was a problem went down phil had fallen from the salt lake city 13th floor Oh my gosh. And the beginning of a tour. And we, we, it talks about the fact that we were going to cancel the tour. And the Doobie Brothers were the closing act on the show for our opening act spot. And they had a plane, their own plane. So they gave us the plane to fly uh, Phil's remains back to California. And uh, we uh, put him to rest just wanted to be a musician in a rock and roll band. And that's the thing when you're out on the road, you have no, 
You know, you have no control over what I got a bus driver. I don't know what the hell he's doing up there. Yeah. Well, he's just driving, <laughs> driving away. He's going obviously too fast. Slow down. Shut up. <laughs> well, now, did you find being a professor in college, you had more control? You control the environment, you control what's talked about. Was that, was that one yeah, of the most? It's me telling these stories. I mean, I, those stories come manifest themselves all the time. I mean, the the band City on the Bus today. With the other day, Greg Hawks came to the show the other night from the Cars. Uh-huh. This is one of the sweetest guys you ever meet, and he played with the Turtles for about three years, and he's played with Todd Rundgren and. Of course, he won. He won a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Cars went into the Hall of Fame, and um, they they were just grand people to know. Anyway, I mean, Greg Hawks. I worked with Greg Hawks on a project with a great singer songwriter named named Martin Mall. I don't know how many Martin Mall famous furniture. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, so you, just, is, you just confuse somebody listening to your show. Yeah, <laughs> fabulous uh, furniture. Are you? Are, are would you? Is there a movement to get you guys into the Hall of Fame? Would you like to see the Turtles in the Hall of Fame? For for my kids, I would. But I like the. I'd like my kids to see that I'm as popular as as uh, Joey Ramone. I mean, Joey Ramone's in the Hall of Fame. Stephen Stills is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I can go through the list. There must be 30 people that we've sung with. They all made it. They sung our parts. You know, Bruce Springsteen's, uh, what's the name of that record he made? I probably mentioned it before, but I very forget it. I'm yeah. very forgettable now. <laughs> no, and, uh, forgetful. You're not forgettable. You're forgetful. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I think I'm pretty forgettable too. I, well, I know the zombies of, kind of campaigned to get into the Hall of Fame. No, I don't. I'm not going to campaign. Uh, no. Maybe I, somebody will start a campaign for us. But Howard and I didn't really. We we got into this in 1962, singing blues and r&b covers and and then we did it ain't me babe and from there i haven't slowed down a day i still tour i ride a bus on a tour i have kids grown up 51 year old daughter i think something like that <laughs> I mean, well, now, when you, you speaking of 51 you were about 50 when you got your graduate degree right and yeah yeah, yeah. i have the same with me I have the equivalent of a PhD. I am, uh, I, they call that an MFA. I have an MFA. Me too. I got accepted to law school and I was going to go. I actually was going to go and do it. I could do it in two years, but I just, it makes me remember a lot of bad things that went on with the, <laughs> with the, the law stuff. But you, a lot of, you, you own, the the turtles music now so when happy together is get played on the radio that's for you not well for it, yeah but howard and i own a, a major part of it there's three owners to any 
project and happy together is you know not like any other but it has the same kind of configuration in terms of uh there's ownership for the songwriter there's ownership for the publisher of the song and the third is what we own and that is the performance of the song so the recording we actually own the sound recording the master version of that so when the song is used in a graham cracker cereal commercial or something they pay they pay the three of us in thirds so and it doesn't it, i i don't want anybody to feel badly for us but the, we've had a lot of problems with ownerships and things like that managers who claim they own the name of the group uh, i mean they, well, they owned your name you couldn't use your mark yeah, we, that. right well what, that's what they ended up uh, we had to go to court to make sure that didn't happen. But basically, the lawsuit contained in the words of lawyeries that they would own the rights to the name anytime they wanted to. They didn't need to come to us. Listen, I'm very free about letting it being used, but there was this one thing I can point out that just shows you that if you don't have ownership, you bear the possibility that somebody's going to use Happy Together along with the story about Auschwitz. And that's what happened was somebody thought it would be really funny to do a dichotomy of the possibility that Happy Together could actually ride hand in hand with the story of the uh, the Holocaust, the Holocaust, and we had to stop that. We had to. We didn't need that going on. No, no. But that that's the problems in terms of ownership. That if you've given your stuff away, you can't protect it. Yeah, I can imagine that that could be frustrating. Well, I mean, so you don't mind it if they have it as a graham cracker commercial, but <laughs> we love the graham cracker, graham cracker commercial. There was well, you did a, a lot of, of wonderful. Them. You did a lot of wonderful cartoons and kids things. Yeah, we worked with Strawberry Shortcake. I was a, a intimate friends with the Purple Pie Man. <laughs> uh... <laughs> oh, that's back in the sixties. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, no, that wasn't quite the '60s. It was about that was a different purple pie, man. <laughs> no, they, the kids' stuff that we've done, we've been really, really lucky to get to work with that. You know, you you don't know what a blessing it is to have your material learned by kids of the age four to eight or four to seven. The, there's so much love uh, and happy together as broad kids. So much love, really. I'm mesmerized sometimes when you see kids in the song Happy Together, together, and they dance and they completely bring out the the love of the day, you know, whatever it takes. There's there's no song to me, there's no song to me that brings me to my childhood and my time and, you know, uh, uh, listening to the radio and being on the grass and 
with my yeah, friend, yeah. you know, is happy together. And um, uh, just uh, from the first, you know, moment of the song, that first beat comes in. So I wonder when you were recording it, did you know this is something special? We've got a really good one here. Yes. Yeah, I, I say we we knew and, and we kind of went back to the top of the song and listened differently from that moment on uh, because it brought us that same joy that the people it was intended for. I mean, that was really, it was a record that we fortunately had such talented people in the group because we couldn't use studio musicians like, yes, we use studio musicians to play maybe the horns and some of the strings or the oboe and things, but Happy Together was recorded by the five of us. There was, and we actually brought back uh, Chip Douglas, who was with the, uh, can't remember the name of his band, but. Um, the Monkees, wasn't it? Yeah, he produced the monkeys. He ended up producing the monkeys. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, Chip was a brilliant uh, arranger, and he arranged all the horns and everything. But as part of the Turtles, he was our bass player in the band. And uh, Chip, Chip was uh, so talented, he put together all of the arrangements for us, wrote it out, and uh, we all learned it. And uh, I think the bass is the first thing you hear on that record, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, probably, probably. But uh, it was, uh, the band recorded all of our songs. Oh, She'd Rather Be With Me, You Showed Me, Eleanor. You have the Wrecking Crew in there. Yeah, we didn't, the Wrecking Crew, we used maybe one guy to play a sax. We didn't have horns, so if we needed a sax or a, you know, uh, a jazz flute or something. And then we would bring one person and we'd use Larry Nectal on a bunch of stuff. We used Don Peak. Don Peak worked with Phil Spector and a lot of those guys that you alluded to. Um, it's kind of unusual that you guys played on your own records. I mean, yeah. Boys well, didn't that play was, on their records, or even the Birds didn't play on all their records. Either. No, uh, Birds didn't play on the most of significant of their records. Uh, and so, same with the Beach Boys. They never really played on anything. Finally, they did on one or two albums where they did a few things, but. Um, I know. It's just, I always thought it was interesting that everybody criticized the monkeys for not playing on their records, and it was like, well, nobody plays on their records, but I guess the turtles did. Well, the turtles, we couldn't. The record company wouldn't pay for us to record <laughs> with. The record company was pretty sure that it wasn't going to be a hit record to stand on its own. So, but we um, couldn't have done more wrong. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Um, and, and you guys made some wonderful albums. You know, I was holding up this box set a minute ago that we were talking about the the complete original album collection, and there's six albums. So there's so there's a deep catalog of wonderful Turtles songs. Yeah, uh, not always great, not always great, but challenging. It's some really challenging stuff. Well, I think that Battle of the Bands album is one of the strangest records of all. <laughs> yeah. Battle of the Bands, the reggae album, mm. uh, which was 
fun. We do things for fun. And we went to Jamaica and Howard and I had become big fans of reggae music. So we got together with a guy named Errol Brown. Errol Brown produced Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, uh, and a bunch of others. And he, we brought our our white bread selves to Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> and we wrote we wrote, we did one uh, turtle song, Happy Together, and then everything else was what they call rock steady. It was a style of music in Jamaica that I don't think many fans knew that of, of our interest, let alone that they knew what rock steady meant. And it was just a beat. It was a, it was a style of the, of the way that you move. And um, rock steady became the album that we would make with Errol Brown. Errol produced uh, Soul Syndicate, which was a massive band. They were just great players. And then we had Family Man Barrett <clears throat> on bass, bass player from uh, the Whalers, and Leslie mm. Butler, and all these just magnificent musicians. And we could show up with our California, you know, our California Oh, you know what I'm talking about, the green yeah. stuff. Uh, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yeah, we would show up in Jamaica with our... our That's the our, stuff they throw away there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they were pretty gnarly guys, man. They smoked everything, including the table and the studio. <laughs> they might have. But um, that was a good album. I mean, it wasn't a hit album. Uh, and um, it might be a, one of the biggest wasted times Howard ever and I did, but it was really fun. It was like, you know, we learned so much about about not just the the culture, and and that that's the thing is, Jamaicans are just a was a learning experience that we had a really good time uh, being in in Jamaica. We were in. The vowels of Jamaica. We didn't go to Montego Bay. We didn't go to the safe places. We ended up living in a little area called, um, I think, uh, some name that coincided with uh, the area we were living in. And um, it was a, it was a daily routine getting out. You know, kind of felt like. Uh, Peter Falk in uh, what was that movie where they are running in the Serpentine? Uh, the the in-laws. Yeah, Serpentine. The in-laws, right. The in-laws. That's what it was kind of like doing that album. Well, they had a good time because we brought, we brought them to America and a lot of them hadn't been there with their music. We brought them and we were working with a fellow named Michael Epstein who owned a club in New York and he helped us put together the reggae album to get it out. And it did pretty well for the French, bought a lot of records uh, in France. We had a lot of sales on the reggae album. And, you know, we send it out every once in a while. But we did an electronic album, too. We did a, we ended up only doing four tracks because we thought people would need a little bit of an introductory. Um, <laughs> so it was like dance, uh, electronic dance. It was, 
It was really fun to do. Do you listen to a lot of contemporary music now? Uh, a little bit. I mean, not, not too much stuff happening that interested me. There are great, talented people making really good music. Uh, I think, you know, you mentioned Taylor um, in the field of the, what she's doing. She's the best at it. I mean, I think she does a really great job writing for her fans. And, you know, that's the important part of it. And uh, I like the, like the shows where the contemporaries thing, the hits of the, you know, 25 years ago to see if they're the best singer in America now, you know, all, all those different shows where they try to be successful. Right, yeah, the competition show. Never going to, yeah, the competition show. The Battle of the Bands. <laughs> Battle of the Bands hasn't really changed. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, we are happy with our place and where we are. And yes, recognition with of a Hall of Fame kind of thing, it would definitely be great for me to hand to my kids. Uh, you, you know, you, you've done so many things. You've made a life uh, in, in music and in show business and in education and in radio, so many wonderful things uh, that you talk about in, in your book. And let's uh, remind them that the book is called Happy Forever, My Musical Adventures with the Turtles, Frank Zappa, T-Rex, Flo and Eddie, and more. Mark Volman, it's just been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for making some time for my little show. Oh, no, anytime. You, I can tell you know what you're doing. Mark Volman's new book is called Happy Forever, My Musical Adventures with the Turtles, Frank Zappa, T-Rex, Flo and Eddie, and more. I'm Gary Shapiro. This is From the Bookshelf. One of the contributors to Mark Volman's new book is photographer Henry Diltz. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to talk with Henry Diltz about some of his most famous, iconic photographs. We began talking about Woodstock. Henry Diltz was the official photographer at Woodstock and took some of the most famous pictures from that historic event. Well, we didn't know we were making history, you know, until we were into the thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, it was... Are, are there some really memorable photographs that you took at Woodstock that... Well, I loved the Janis Joplin pictures I took. I was standing on a, a little tiny walkway right in front of the stage so that my chest was right hitting the stage, which was built for the film crew. And I was the only photographer that could use it since I was Michael Lang's photographer. Um, I think the picture of Jimi Hendrix, um, I say the picture, it's the only one I have left because the others have been lost or stolen out of photo labs and all I mean, there are many stories about it, but... Uh, I have one really great color shot of Jimi Hendrix standing there Monday morning playing, and when he played the Star Spangled Banner, and it echoed, uh, you know, against the faraway hills, and it was just that that single guitar, you know, playing the Star Spangled Banner with all the sound effects. And when you looked out over the field that Monday morning, there was uh, not so many people; they were just a clump of people right in front of the stage, and the whole hillside was full of these saggy. Uh, not soggy sleeping bags, you know, wet sleeping bags and tents and blankets and stuff that people had left. And it kind of looked like those old Matthew Brady photographs of the Civil War battlefields, you know. You could imagine, you know, dead horses and soldiers laying out there and he's playing the Star Spangled Man. It was quite a moment. 
One of my favorites and one of your favorites, if you you probably know it was Henry Diltz's With, picture, is... Whether you know it or not. <laughs> it's right, is the cover of Morrison Hotel by The Doors. And that's one of the great... That's just one of the great album covers of all time. And how did that shot come about? Well, <clears throat> sometimes I think a lot of these album covers is almost sort of accidental, or if not accidental, very natural kind of. You know, this that particular cover... Um, the Doors had called us because my my partner was Gary Burden, who was a um, who was a, an art director, and the two of us had started doing covers together. And we'd done the Crosby, Stills and Ash, where they're sitting on the couch in front of that little old house. And uh, I think the Doors had seen that or something, and wanted us to do their next cover. So we met with them in their little office, and it was um, actually just Ray and Jim were there. And we said, well, have you got have you got a title? No, we don't. Well, do you have an idea, maybe, of what we might want to do here? We were just talking it over. No, they had no idea, you know. And at that point, Ray said, well, you know, my wife Dorothy and I saw this hotel downtown L.A. last week. We were just driving around, and we happened to see this old hotel that said Morrison Hotel on the window. And we thought, whoa, you know, that sounds great. So we immediately drove down, checked it out. And it was it was great, and we went back a few days later with the with the group to take the picture. We walked in the lobby. Now this was a a, a transient hotel, you know, basically a flop house, as the sign in the window says, rooms two fifty and up, and it's, it's two dollars and fifty cents, not not two hundred and fifty bucks like it would be today, you know. But um, <clears throat> we walked in, and it was just a big empty lobby with some old furniture, and the guy behind the desk, a young guy. I said, we're just going to walk over there and take a few photos. We'll just, we won't bother anybody. He said, well, no, you can't. I said, well, why not? You know, well, you have to ask the owner's permission, you know, and he's not here. And you got, I said, oh, my God. So we walked outside and I thought, well, I can have them stand in front of the window. They can't stop us. You know, it's a public sidewalk. And we were about to do that. And I was looking through the window and I noticed the guy leave the desk, get in the elevator and disappear. And I said, quick, you know, run in there and just jump behind the, behind the window. And so they did. And we, we took one roll of film and got out of there. And that was the cover. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, what, what was your impression of, uh, of Jim Morrison? You know, most asked question, I think. You know, many, many people ask me that. Um, I always use the word bemused. I mean, my one word description of Jim Morrison <laughs> is bemused. Which, which implies, you know, a certain amount of, 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 of attention and intelligence and interest, you know, and he was. He, he was a poet, basically, and he liked to hear people's stories, you know. He was very attentive to stuff that went on around him. Um, and so he would, he would like to hear, he'd like to hear people tell their story, and he would kind of smile and nod his head, you know, that he was listening and taking it all in. Um, it's it's not the usual impression that, you know, from the movie and whatnot, you think of a kind of a wild man always on acid or, you know, booze, which which wasn't true, you know. I mean, we all, you know, used a bit of those things from time to time. But um, <laughs> in, interesting thing, after we left the Morrison Hotel that day, it was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, Jim said, well, let's get a drink. So we piled in the, the uh, I think it was Robbie's Volkswagen van, and we drove down to Skid Row, which was just a few blocks away. And it was all bars and pawn shops. We didn't know where to stop. But suddenly, on the corner, there was a bar called the Hard Rock Cafe. 
So we said, okay, we got to go in there and get a beer. So we parked and went in. We spent about an hour inside drinking beer, and Jim was loving hearing the stories of these old winos that were in there. We sat at the bar. You know, there were no tables. It was just a big bar, and we sat in there, and these guys would tell Jim these stories, you know, and he loved it. He was smiling, nodding, and listening. And uh, then they put the picture of the Hard Rock Cafe on the back of the Morrison Hotel album, and uh, 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 shortly after it came out, it was released, they got a call from England, and a voice on the phone said, would you mind if we use that name? We're starting a cafe here in London, and we'd like <laughs> to call it the Hard Rock Cafe. And they said, no, go right ahead. And then that was the beginning of that whole empire. You wow. know? So you could have had a piece of that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you'd, <laughs> you'd think, you'd hope. But <laughs> that's, that's okay, though, you know. Well, and one of the great things about being able to talk to you right now is I can ask you this question. The cover of the Crosby, Stills, Nash album, it's a classic cover. On the back, there's a screen door. Yep. Somebody behind the screen there. Yep, and everybody always thinks it's Neil Young. Who is it? It's Dallas Taylor, the drummer. <laughs> and why didn't you come? Why don't you let him out? He was well, laughing. here's the thing. <laughs> we actually... He wasn't the drummer when we took the picture or, you know, they were still, they hadn't even named themselves. We were just going out to take some publicity pictures. And we did. We were around West L.A. stopping here and there. And Graham had remembered this old shack with a, with a couch. And we pulled up and they sat on the couch and we took the pictures. Um, then we looked at them a few days later. And the, meanwhile, in, within a couple days, they decided on their name, Crosby, Stills, Nash. But they're backwards in the picture. It's Nash, Stills, and Crosby. And I said, well, that will really be confusing, so let's go back and we'll just retake it. You know, I was a photographer. I said, it'll take five minutes, you know. Yeah. So we went back, and the house was gone. So, <laughs> first of all, they are sitting backwards on the cover because there was nothing else to do. Second of all, they decided about a week later that, that Dallas was going to be their permanent drummer, and they wanted him to sort of be a part of the group so how could we fit him in there? So we took a picture of him in David Crosby's kitchen door. So it's not even in the same No, spot. and then Gary <laughs> Burden stripped it in, you know. I mean, in Adobe Photoshop these days, it would take you five minutes. Right, Back how long then, did that take? It took a week, and it took several $500 prints, you know, and re-photographing the print with him pasted in there. <laughs> and then, you know, and then uh, retouching and all kinds of stuff. But um, that's Dallas Taylor. That's it for this week's From the Bookshelf. I hope you enjoyed the program, and we'll come back and see us again next time. I'm Gary Shapiro. Take care. See you soon. Mm-hmm.